Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories to Bearing Sea and Beyond. I am your host Mark Haler. And again, we're continuing on with uh, Bart Eaton. We've had his son Jeff join us here today. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing great. Excellent. So uh, Bart, at this point, uh, when last we spoke, which to our viewers or listeners might be a week ago, but to us it's been about five minutes of break time. Um, you, you had just gotten back from, you're in Kodiak, you lost to Miss Alaska, and let's continue the, the adventure from there. Well, I'm all dry now anyway, and I uh, was kind of wandering around. Oscar Dyson had the Peggy Joe. I went to work for Oscar, shrimping. We had some good shrimping. And at four cents a pound, we made money. But uh, a lot of stories on Oscar. I don't know where to where to stop with with Oscar. That's almost a chapter with Oscar and Lloyd too. But the Oscar stories, I can go. I don't know where to. But I went back to working on deck. Not so much I couldn't run a boat, but I. Uh, I probably lost a little confidence in all that other stuff. And I hadn't drowned at anybody yet. So I went to work, and Oscar had a shrimp boat. And we had a crab season. Did real good on the crab season. But then one day we're sitting around the house around Christmas, I think it was, because the bait net was all froze up under the tree. And he and Nellie, his partner, got to thinking, and we're all excited about the, the potential. Potential is my favorite word. You know, that get me going every time. It's cost me a lot of money, too. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, so he go up there and we chained up this, we broke this net loose. It was an old bait net. Put it on the Peggy Drill and got some deckhands. Ron Drollin was there, Danny Olson, some of the other guys. And we went out to Shillikoff just to make a pollock drag. Well, we went out there and tore up the net. We, we didn't even know how to mend the net. It's was what, anybody fishing Pollock at this time? No, there was nothing. We, we were just trying to, there was a Japanese can, cannery in there, a Japanese owned called B&B. Bix Bonnie, I think. And so we, we went out and went fishing, got cod and got Pollock and got everything and put them in these wooden boxes and took them to each cannery and just put them on their front door. You know, we, we were all righteous, you know. Hey, why aren't you buying from us? Japanese cannery in here and they got the boats right offshore. You know, it was kind of a, we we did that. And I think that is the first load. I never heard it. Things hadn't even got going in Dutch Harbor yet, you know. But in any, I'm not saying it's the first commercial load because we didn't get paid. I mean, the crew, Oscar kicked in the fuel. So anyway, that, that was, there was a big article in the Kodiak Mirror, you know, all this stuff. And so that, that just kept going. And then the next year, I went to work on deck for Lloyd Cannon. And then the next year, Joe Kurtz came over from Soldovia. He already had the Amatuli. Wanted to know if I'd run, or run it. And it's the exact same boat as the shellfish was. And I like, I mean, I really like those boats. And so I started running that boat, going to the Bering Sea fishing back and forth and all around yeah it was a long time ago you know we didn't have a closed season hardly you had a hard time finding time to go to the boatyard so, so you weren't in the crew would fish year-round 
never took our pots out of the water. Crab we're doing? Yeah. And if you wanted to take a break, you just hire somebody off the beach to cover for you for two, three weeks. You go to Hawaii, come back, go fishing again. You know, it, it just, it was fish, fish, fish. All you want, wanted, which worked out good. And then I was on the shellfish, and the skipper wanted to go Dungeness fishing. Because some of my buddies, Ted Painter and his brother and his their dad was old feller. But they were Dungeness fishermen from Oregon, you know. And so we were going to get a piece of that, and we got a couple hundred pots. And right here at Pacific, fishermen rigged them all up and took them up there. And we're working on the boat, and we, we, we had a crane. So we stacked three or four pots and then hooked the crane up and stacked them. Well, we had a friend, I think he's passed, I don't know, a, a Dungeness fisherman from Oregon called Junior Cross that come down and told, told the skipper, wow, we, we don't use a crane, we just throw them up on a stack. Well, my skipper heard that, and he wouldn't turn the crane on. And I only had one other guy with me, Coogan Fox, and he's about a foot shorter than I am. So we'd sling these pots up and he'd, he'd release about a, about a foot from, from the apex and I had to take it the rest of the way up. I just didn't think that was, you know, not because I'd been to college, I just think it was smart when you had a hydraulic <laughs> sitting right there. Well, I thought that was a little bit Norwegian thinking. But in any case, God, we went from there to I don't know how far out we went. Clear to Dutch and back and we didn't hardly catch enough to eat. But so we, we come back in and he sold the pots to, 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 to this guy in town, all rigged. But I'll tell you about that skipper, George Johnson. He paid Coogan and I so much for every pot that we rigged. He paid us. Otherwise, I think we made $400 in four months, you know. But anyway, it worked out. So when we had a crab season in Kodak that year, he said, look, says, if you two guys can handle the deck, we'll only take two guys and split the other guy's man's share between you two guys. Well, that sounded good to us. You know, we, we, we always thought we could do anything anyway. Yeah, mm -hmm. Hell, I could do it by myself, if you ask right. me. And so we fished Kodiak that year, and we had 40 pots on the Portlock Banks, 40 pots at Cape Douglas, and 40 pots down at the Towers, down at Sid Kalitti. So we'd pull 40 pots, go over to Cape Douglas give those and then go down come back and so that gave everything about a three day soak and I think when we were started that I can't really recall the price was maybe 25 cents a pound and the price went up to about 50 cents a pound well that's in the Double same the money. Yeah. so the two of us on deck had a hell of a season what really made us because we were trying to find another guy to fish on deck with the Dungeness, but nobody wanted to do that because they'd already, you know, heard. So the, the skipper went, and he was getting pissed off too. He said, screw them. They all wanted to go fish king crab because he had a, a real good reputation. He was a great guy. That was probably one of the biggest years I ever had because Coogan and I split up three men's, three men. Sure. Yeah. So that that, 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 that was a big highlight, but then he sold his boat to... Northgate, which later became the All Alaska boat. It was from, it was the San Diego uh, Tuna Company, but they were out of the Columbia 
river there. And he, he, he sold it to him, and uh, he said, contingent on I could run the boat. Well, I'd never been to ADAC, but I'd, I'd caught some crab, you know, around Kodiak. So I took it out to ADAC. I tell you, there were stories there. See, I wouldn't go into Finger Bay at night. That's where the processors were. Because it's so narrow on this old Calvin Hughes 48-mile radar. I said, boat can't get in there. So I anchored up outside until the sun came up so I could see. Well, you could get in there, but it's kind of like going through the locks. Until you've done it, <laughs> you don't really know. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I really felt stupid. But anyway, I had a good good year, but I got, got out there, and my reduction gear went out. Capital gear, 514. 514? But anyway, or twin it yeah, one of them. It went out. God, man. And I'm an ADAC. This is 50 is, years ago. That's the furthest you can get. <laughs> but I got there early. You know, I'm never I'm never late. In fact, I think some guys at Trident used to call me Dilly Dally. Because I don't dilly dally. I'm always saying, don't dilly dally. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm laying out there at the dock, and here comes a, cru- a cruise boat by, by me. And he looks up, and he says, hey. Where's the hallowed around here? Well, hell, I didn't know. I said, oh, they're in the water. I knew that. <laughs> and I said, well, probably over here. Like I knew what I was talking about. He said, what do you use? Herring. Where can I get some herring? Well, I had a whole boatload of herring in my freezer, and I give him a case. Best case of herring I ever give away. So he goes out fishing, comes back with a couple of fish. How do you clean these? Fucker? She had some big 100-pounder laying in there bleeding, so we cleaned it and had a few beers. Turned out, he said, well, what are you guys laying here for? He said, well, I'm here early, but I got, I got to get up. And they didn't have a phone out there at the dock. You had to go into town. You couldn't go into town. If it said keep off the grass, you stayed off the grass. ADAC, you know. Military. <laughs> well, this guy turns out to be the head, civilian head of utilities. He was the head of the shop. Everything. Well, hell, he says, hop in. So we hopped in. And... At least, I hopped in, I got in there to the phone, he took me by the PX, and I got lettuce and tomatoes, and he, he just treated me great for that box of herring. Well, what do you need? I said, well, I know what I need. I need a, a, a new capital gear. And I says, I got one lined up, Joe Kurtz, that knew the guys at Caterpillar. I can't remember the guy's name. But he and the guy at Caterpillar at night went down to Caterpillar, and they had an engine on the floor with a 514 on it. And they worked together, took it off, put it on a truck, took it to the airport, put it on a northwest flight to Anchorage, okay? And then the United States Navy flew it out to ADAC. (laughs) I think that's bad. I don't know if there's any receipts. (laughs) I swapped out. That gear in 24 hours. Of course, we already had it out. You know, there, there's nothing to pull the whole gear, gear off. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't say nothing because my engineer was doing it. I was just hollering, got to get this thing <laughs> So Drinking coffee, eating those candy bars? Anyway, that was the best case of herring. And, of course, this guy fell in love with me. He caught herring. He caught boats. He, he, he caught, and he was a nice guy. It turned in a little different for him after that because he started a, crab cannery out there he he got off the rails some way i don't know that story but there's probably somebody around here knows the story uh, but 
somebody comes up next to your boat and wants some herring, be sure and give them some. (laughs) (laughs) That's the book of Bart, chapter 2, verse 7. Always hand out your herring, because you never know. (laughs) But These are bumper stickers I give to my grandkids as you grow up. You know, just hand out a little herring. (laughs) Everything's going to work out all right. (laughs) It's going to work out. But anyway, and so I went out to fishing there, but this isn't, there was more crab found me than I ever found them. No two ways about it. I go out to Corvin Bay, and that's where the All-Alaskan, it's not the All-Alaskan then, it's the North, Northgate, brought a bunch, a load of our gear out. So when I took the gear off, I put 10 too many, 10 pots more than I was rated for, and I really liked. I, you know, when you're tied in shallow, you can stack pots clear to the lights. You know? <laughs> but it feels fine. It feels yeah, fine. but, you know. Of course, most people, I've always, including myself, if you're having a nice sunny day like this, you kind of plan like it's going to be a nice sunny day the rest of your life. Well, that ain't going to happen. But anyway, we went in and got those pots, and this is an, another pat on the back to one of the best friends. Well, not friend, friend. We don't do Christmas together. But uh, Magny Ness, he was out there on a boat. And he come in where I'm tied up. He said, what are you tying here? I said, oh, i broken. So he comes up. He says, you ever been through this at Capas? No, I never. I didn't have a chart. So he goes down and he, 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 he gets his chart. And he draws a duplicate of his chart. And it really saves you a lot of time going through at uh, Adak Pass. But it's on the tide. You know, it's not one of those things you just cruise through. And we BS'd. And, here again, it's kind of like I've always said, when you're younger, you meet a guy like that or some of these other guys. It was for a young guy, it was kind of like meeting Willie Mays. You know, or, That's how it was with Magny? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, well, that guy could catch crap. You know, he, he, Isn't he still running around here? In oh, I'm sure he is. Yeah. Well, he was Corey Ness's younger oh, brother. No, I know who he is. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so anyway, we just hit it off good. I mean, we hit it off. And... So I got that. I never forgot that. But two years later, I'm on Nadak. I'm proud of this too. He calls up and he had a full load of crap. But on a, a lot of people know will know what I'm talking about. But on his generator set, there's what you call an exciter. How they work, what they do, I don't know. But it doesn't work without it. But I I had that happen on mine. So anytime I had a part breakdown, I always said sand too. And I put them up, and, you know, I just, that, that was my technical education. You get two of anything that breaks. So I had it, that first one broke. Well, he had a full load of crab, and it's blowing pretty good, and he couldn't, he, he didn't want to go to Dutch because his boat would roll around and kill the crab, and, you know, it, it's just a disaster situation. And I said, Magni, where are you? And he told me, I said, I don't know what your problem is because I'm troubleshooting this over the, yeah, I think I had something like this, but I didn't know for sure. So he he had to kind of stay there and jog jog in the lump, and I maybe six hours. I didn't care. I I jogged over to him, and I, like we all did, you pass a part, you put it in a plastic bag and wrap it up, tie a buoy on it, you get up close, and you throw it in the water, and they grab it up. So I threw it over to him. I said, I don't know if this is it. He knew as much about electronics as I did. I was. That's why I liked those old Kelvin Hughes, because they had tubes in them. And when the tube went back, it went bad, it quit glowing. Well, hell, I can figure that out. You swap tubes. <laughs> you know, 
now, now they got these damn boards, and then they cover them with three layers of plastic, and you, you, you just don't know. But I threw it over there, and I'm waiting, waiting. Pretty soon, as lights popped on, you know, away you went with a full load of crap. That made me feel good. But I've always had a. I never forget that kind of stuff. You know, there's some, there's some good, good things happened. I've often thought about this. When you get older, as you're going to find out, you kind of reflect on things. I guess you call it. Before I was so busy getting to the next problem, I didn't. I solved that one. I'm going to the next one. You know, and that that one's out of my mind. Mm -hmm. But when you get a little older, you kind of reflect. And, uh, it's amazing some of the stuff that'll happen to a guy and then you get to thinking about it and here's where you got to stop the tape because I forgot what the hell I was gonna talk about well anyway but another good story about that is Chuck Wells one time I had the adventure in Kodiak and he had the seven C's <laughs> I got a good Chuck Wells remember this one uh, I stacked I had a spot off a Cherkoff where you could get a full 8x8 eight eight pot full of crap. Females and small ones and maybe get 10 big ones. But boy, I tell you, getting those 10 big ones out of that pot. It's easiest just to dump them on the deck and stack the pots. Lift the pots over, stack them, and pull out the crap. But 10 was all I was getting. You know, that, that was... And at least when I was stacking them, the crew was thinking I'm moving. I'd know where to go. I'd been looking everywhere. So we'd get a half a deck load and make it easy. Half a deck load. But he said, okay, get something to eat. Sleep for a couple hours. And I just kind of jog around. Go back. Set them right back. <laughs> they didn't know where they were at. They know where they were at. Well, what? I had to get some crap out of this thing. But I always had a few out prospecting around while I'm doing this. I had to get some crap. So I loaded up a deck load once and I'm headed north up to Port Lock and I'm going by and it's dark. And you got your lights going, buzz, buzz, buzz. And I heard somebody say, set them bark. I heard that. Uh, I don't know if it was one of the crewmen stuck their head up or what the hell was going on. I keep cruising. He says, set them bark. So I thought, what the hell? So I cruise over. I see this blip. And I go over there, and there's the seven seas laying there. Back in the, when there weren't a lot of boats around, we used to shut down and just lay, lay out there, leave your lights on and everything. So there's the set seven seas, but I could tell the way he was talking, he wasn't wanting me to talk. You know, he was just telling you to set them. He just said, set them. So I ran some strings, I saw them, I ran them, you know, see which way they are so I didn't tangle up with him and I set, set those pots and if I hadn't have set them, I'd have gone Another 200 miles up to the Port Lock Banks. Don't you know? Got a couple trips. Right out of there. Set them, Bart. I'll never forget that. <laughs> That's what I was over the radio. Yeah. 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 So at, at some point in here, you're moving on to where you first met Chuck. Because you guys is... I had met Chuck in Kodiak because he was coming to town to look at the shellfish. Because his first boat was built over here at Pacific Fisherman. The Tijin? No. Oh, uh, was it the Tugiak? Yeah. Tugiti. Yeah, there you go. Okay. You go. And first time he, he was coming down the dock, he had an overcoat on. 
You didn't see a lot of those in there. And boy, it was flapping in the wind. The old western ones, the kind of... Kind of, just like you see these politicians in the halls of Congress. They're always in a hurry going somewhere. They ain't going nowhere. But they want the film to catch them. Like the wind's going through their hair and their hat's falling off. And they're going to the next fight. Well, that's the way Chuck was normal. You know, this coat was flying. And he, he wanted to re redesign the boat and everything. And he did. That's where I first met him. He, he doesn't remember that. But anyway, I remember that. So that's just... And then I was out there with the Amatuli. Uh, I did pretty good. I think that's what got him. I, th I think you might have the record in the Bering Sea with that boat. No, I don't know. But I did... In ADAC, he was out there. We had one year out there, and he had a catcher processor. Well, there ain't nobody going to catch more. I, it's unfair to me to tell a story about Chuck, because Chuck can't come in and call me a liar but that's the time when you can really write a non-fiction book because there's nobody there can say it's full of shit he can send you an email <laughs> it'll be lit but anyway i did pretty good well he didn't like that so he said shit i just hired that guy but 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 anyway i was tender and herring i was fi actually fishing for icicle tender and herring Icicle was a great, they were great, great people too. But we were always, <laughs> oh, one story at least, and uh, another story. But then that was the fishing part, and then I started going to work. The deal was I could fish six months a year and work for Chuck for six months a year, running as tenders. Wait, I don't know how you guys actually met and well, we just how met. we started. Well, then I was de delivering herring to Chuck. When I delivered, I'd go up in the wheelhouse of the Bountiful, and we talk. Oh, okay. And the best best one I ever did, I, I said, Chuck, he says, I need a tender. That's when he first started doing salmon, herring. I said, well, of course, I was tendered for icicle. And I was pretty much full-blooded fisherman, what you going to pay? You know, I like to get right to the meat of the bone. He said, well, I don't I, I need you. You know, Chuck. He said, I, I never had a tender con contract. He said, why don't you write one? So I wrote one up. He's debating about it. But I knew what I was getting paid. I just wanted another $100 a day. Tenders, back in those days, were one of the low guys. The phone rings, and I'm in Chuck's office. And he had a young fella, my age or older, named Bart Campbell that worked for him. I'm standing in the office and Fran takes his call and I just been over here at Icicle talking to Scott Jacobson. He was my t t tender guy. I hadn't locked anything down yet. I was doing the... You're negotiating. Oh, yeah. I was doing the dan dancing around. And and they, 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 they were good. No, they're, 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 there's no problem. So, God damn. Fran says, is Bart here? I said, yeah. I'm standing right there at the front desk. So she's got ten things going. Phones ringing. Uh, so I grabs the phone. Yeah, Bart, Bart here. He says, "Ah, oh, this is Mike Jacobson. I think that was his name. That was the old old, old man's name." How's it going, Bart? I said, "Oh, it's going fine." I was just talking to him five minutes ago, and he said, "What the hell are you doing?" What do you mean? He said, "Well, Bart was over here. Uh, Amatilia Bart. He thought I was Bart Campbell." And he, he's, he's un unloading to Bart Campbell, but it's me. I said, oh, yeah? 
Yeah, he's over here telling me you're offering this, gonna do this, and gonna do that. What the hell are you doing? You're trying to fix the price on me. <laughs> well, I said, you know, that goddamn Amatilli's a hell of a boat. <laughs> <laughs> to be sincere, I already already was gonna make up my mind, but I never make it, you know. Just like your old girlfriend. It's yes, but not right away. <laughs> you know what I mean. So anyway. <laughs> oh, God. I, he's since passed on. But I never did go over and tell him, yeah, that's a pretty good deal. You really <laughs> And then I hollered down the aisle. You could look right down the door and say, hey, I just got a better offer for my sickle, Chuck. Well, I really didn't. Anyway. Were you guys over at the old yard here at that point? Or? Yeah. 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 But that's that's one of those stories that happen. Well, in the industry, you guys are kind of like Starsky and Hutch. Well, like I don't know team. what we are. Yeah. We've, we've had some hollering matches, but we did them behind closed door. And then we'd come out crying and saying, oh, it's my fault. No, it's my fault. And you know how it goes with, yeah. with guys. So take us on a couple of those adventures. Oh, Christ. I hear, I hear a good one about when you guys had to go up and it was drugs on a boat or something. Oh, I, I don't even want to tell that one. That was, well, that was, that was the first time they started, we started checking for marijuana test. You know, that was a big deal on boats. That was before the Coast Guard was even. We, we wanted to check, check on that drug thing. So we had heard there was somebody on one of our boats. There were some drugs on the boat parked in Akatan. So there was a, a policeman down here. I don't remember his name. And I think one of the crab fishermen families put together a, a company that was going to go into enforcement on drugs. Kenny Peterson, I think. But anyway, we hired them to go up to Kodiak or go up to Bering Sea with, with us, the Dutch. So Mike Ryan and I and I don't know who else went, with these cops on their off time. But the, this one cop, if I can't think of his name, but they were the, they were the real deal, you know? We're, we're, we're sitting in the hotel room up there, we get off the plane and we walk up and they're up at night greasing their pistols and greasing their guns. We're gonna do this and we're gonna do that. Because we didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know what I was doing. Mike Ryan damn sure didn't know what he's doing. And so you should have him telling that story too. So the next morning we go over to the Sea Alaska to board it. And as we're going aboard, see, and cops are great, but they never been on a boat. They didn't know bow from stern, you know, or they get lost in some void up here somewhere. They were calling them, where are you? I don't know where you are. <laughs> well, these guys, and we, we, we did have a, engineer that was passing out drugs but he damn sure knew where he was going <laughs> so he ran, made about six laps around the boat of course all the portholes open and toilets were flushing and <laughs> oh it was it was it was it was something in fact these cops we went down to have dinner the first night and they had to go back to the room because about half the guys in the room or in in the restaurant they knew <laughs> Oh, I arrested him. Remember, we we arrested that guy over there. It was funnier now because we wanted to be in sneak in, mm -hmm. and we had a Coast Guard retired co 
Coast Guard guy, and we didn't tell him. Well, he went ballistic, because that's his boat. There ain't nobody, you know. They were all plain clothes. You know, it, it was lucky we didn't get shot, or somebody didn't get shot. Mm -hmm. And Mike's going up the Jacob's land. He never goes anywhere without his briefcase, and it opened up. Everything fell in the water. So we all, cops, everybody's down there picking up all these papers. Well, everybody knows what's going on by then. But anyway. Boarded, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was, for us, that was a, a great story. Well, you know, great stories you tell to your son, right? Well, so Jeff probably has. Well, he's, he's heard because I've always told him, if you've heard this story before, just pick your nose or something. But if you heard it before and it's good enough to tell again, well, scratch your chin. So I have to see if he's going to so, scratch so his I want, So I want to. I want to ask Jeff. Jeff, uh, growing up with this guy, oh God. you've got to have a couple really good stories that he's told you that he's not giving us today. Well, well, when you say a, there's a couple good stories, it it took me about ten minutes to come up with this whole list that I'm. Uh, By the way, he's got the, he's got the eight pages here. No, no. He's got, uh, he's got a truly, pretty big truly, bullet. and uh, you know, obviously, the stories that we hear, the stories that he's told, are are all truly, truly incredible. And uh, one of the things that makes me the happiest, and it happened a few times yesterday at the uh, at this ALS fun fundraiser, is when I'm introduced or I meet someone and they find out that I'm Bart Eaton's son. They go, "Oh, I got a great Bart story. Oh, I love your dad." And then they go into the story, but yeah. Um, Specifically, there's there's so many stories, and I've been fortunate over the last uh, 20 years since since I've worked at Trident, and and when my dad was there, uh, nearly every day we we go we go go to lunch, and uh, now that I have three sons, uh, oldest is 16, um, when he's in town on on Saturdays, we go to breakfast uh, with myself, my dad, and and my sons whenever possible. So uh, I've heard so many so many stories, and. <laughs> Uh, again, we, we're only right now up to the very early days of Trident, <laughs> but the, there are truly some, there's full aspects of your background that have not even been covered uh, up to this point. Uh, you didn't talk about being on the on the fishing council. Uh, you didn't talk about no. Magnuson-Stevens Act, how you, oh, were, yeah. how you were part of that, and the Law of the Sea Conference, and, and working with, with Senator Stevens and uh, Warren Magnuson. So maybe just a little bit, maybe if you could just tell one or two of the stories about well, you maybe know, your, your early I, days and ending up as a, as a crab fisherman and uh, being, well, I was being a, in Washington, D.C. Crab fishing, and like I said, I was righteous. I'd been in the Peace Corps, you know. I, I tried to change the goddamn world. North Pacific was no problem. Shit. But anyway. <laughs> so I went back to Washington one time. I can't really remember the issue it was something it wasn't 200 mile limit bill and I got to know Don Young Don Young had graduated from the same college I was from and he was a great guy and he, he told me he says you know this 200 mile limit thing is there's more conversation about it you know it wasn't Alaska it was the East Coast and the Gulf of Mexico and South America did the 200 mile li li limit first and he told me there's nobody from the state of Alaska back here, you know, when you're doing the, doing whatever it was. Hmm. So I come home, and I wanted to go see Governor Hammond. You know, I was going to call up, hey, Governor. But we had a legislator there named Naughton, Ed 
none. Well, I called him. He said, no problem. Come on down. So I flew down. He got a, a meeting in with Governor Hammond. And we, we started talking. And I said, you know, if Don Young's saying we this 200-mile limit bill's coming, I said, my humble opinion, and Don Young's, we should have a management biologist back here, somebody from the Department of Law. You know, I mean, it sounds naive now after you see how everything goes. And uh, so we can, this thing's coming. And I wasn't back there too long, and I figured out the biggest lobbyist for any legislation is the National Marine Fisheries. They're there. I mean, they're, they're there all the time, and they know what's going on. And so, by God, he found some, he said, he, it's always money. He, we, we get some money out of the Law of the Sea Conference, which we had some money from. That was the international, where they were going to have the Law of the Sea. And I didn't think much of that. I'd been on the Law of the Sea. Oxymoron of all times is your uh, industry advisor. <laughs> yeah, you you know, that is funnier now. But I could see if we didn't have some back back there at least chawing on them a li little bit, they're going to sell your ass right down the river because it's more important uh, with uh, the treaties with Russia and Japan and give them a few thousand tons out of the Bering Sea is to swap back and forth. So I come back and buy that old Jay Hammond threw in some money so we, we had a group and, and then they sent a biologist back Ed Heiser and there was somebody out of the Department of Law to go through this so well, I got into it thinking I was going to save the world and go back about every three weeks as they're grafting this stuff up you know this stuff didn't happen overnight and the big lobbyists back there were the tuna fishermen from California because they didn't want 200 mile limit bills because they were the ones that were causing all the trouble around the world with their highly migratory species. But anyway, just one thing led to another and developed a real good relationship with, because back 50 years ago, you want to go see Senator Stevens, you go see him. You know, you go up to Anchorage, you see him. I think there's maybe 200,000 boaters in the whole state. So, especially if you carried a king salmon or a king crab with you, that's how you, you know. <laughs> they open the door. I know. So anyway, we spent a lot of, I, I and the association guy, Tom Casey, we were pretty tight running mates in those days. And we, we'd go, and it's just day by day, and and every every day they could change. I think that thing's about inch and a half thick. Well, they'll change three words over here. They'll, they'll change you may to you shall, okay? <laughs> well, that's a different meaning. So, but they don't tell you what they said. You you, you got to read it every day and see all th all three inches of the document. Oh yeah, you you well, I finally got to where I just said, "Let's weigh this thing every day and if it goes up, they added something. If it goes down, they took something out." <laughs> Cuz oh, it it's unbelievable. Well, wasn't it Nancy Pelosi said you got to pass it to read it? <laughs> She's fact, the one that said it. Since Senator Stevens had a, a law guy, a head of his law thing, actually became quite a big time lawyer. We're back there, they're always using their copy machine. You know, you got to copy shit. And he come in and he had about 15 people working at desk, interns. And he said, God damn you guys, you guys keep coming in here using our copy machine. You got to start paying rent. 
That was pretty quick. I said, well, that's funny. I thought we were paying the rent, you know, being a wise ass. Boy, everybody ducked their heads, and he knew he had said the wrong goddamn thing. <laughs> paying rent. But in any case, yeah, Senator Stevens and Don Young treated us. In fact, I've all, always thought that maybe there should have been a Stevens, Magnus, and Don Young act, because Don, Don Young, he's, he, he was in there all the time. But... So that, that was, and so Don, uh, Senator Stevens in th those days, his wife, uh, you know what, they invited me over, Tom and I and another fisherman over for dinner to his house. You know, so we go over there, we're in there having dinner, and Warren Magnuson and his wife are there, and Warren was from here. Uh, he was chief of the budget finance, he, he was the big honcho. So we're, he, Ted Stevens introduced me, Bart Eaton, to Warren Mason as Alaska's third senator. <laughs> well, how different is it now? You know, Stevens was a smart, smart guy. He knew hook his wagon to a star. And when you think about it, it makes sense because politically Alaska and Washington should be, could be one state, you know, because everything starts here and goes there. But, but, but anyway, I'm over speaking my, my, uh, my stature. But, oh yeah, so we're down there, we had din dinner, and Stevens, or, I'm not saying anything everybody doesn't know, Warren liked to have a little toddy now and then. And what you do back in Washington, what they all do, everybody, just like anywhere else, the women go to the galley, not the galley, but their kitchen and clean up, and the men go downstairs to play pool. Come on down, so we come on down. But that's the kind of guy he was, Senator Stevens. And so we're down there shooting pool, talking. And you know how when you, I don't know if it happened to you, but when you, I couldn't shoot pool, but when you're shooting pool and the other guy's shooting pool, you're on the other side of the table, you kind of look at his stick and see how he's lining up and kind of, kind of watching. And he's there and Warren's there. Of course, he had a staff lawyer there that he gets it lined up and the guy would hit the stick on the end for him. You know, he'd, he'd pass gas and all these lawyers would jump up and say, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, I'm trying to help old Warren line this thing up, and he looks right down his stick, and he looks me right in the eye. He says, young feller, he says, I want you in my office at 8 o'clock in the morning. Okay. He says, I, I'm going to get a hold of Strom, and we're going to take care of this B-52 bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I, of course, Stevens is standing there going, no, 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 no. But that's a true story. I got witnesses for that saw that happen. So, Fisheries is taking me to some strange places. Well, there's got to be some fun ones. I mean, oh, yeah. like, normally when you stop by my office, you, you give me the, the good, funny stories. Let's talk about the time that you uh, did a rescue. That's the one where we're flying in the helicopter with 9-4 Danger. That was his call sign, 9-4 Danger. And he was a helicopter pilot. He'd get in, he'd put on a helmet. Well, that, that kind of... I thought, what the hell are you wearing a helmet for? <laughs> you got no faith in yourself? But he, he, was, he was an old Vietnam... Great pilot, great guy. I think his son flies up there now, but I, I don't know. But, but anyway, we're flying around there, and some tender calls up the Wallstad 
and says, Wallside, Wallside, we see a net floating outside the line. You know, it's supposed to be. Can we pull it? Because they don't want somebody going over it and getting their wheel. Wallstead said, yeah, sure. So I'm listening to, to this. Kind of strange. And the guy called, holy, he called back. Wallstead, Wallstead, there's a human in it. Human body. Well, then, really listen. And and we're kind of flying right over that area. So we, we just kind of hovered in there, seeing where this story's going. Didn't know. And... Well, said, said, oh, Christ, well, come over here. So they go over there. Well, then they call him and say, she's still alive. It was a she. Hmm. Everybody was just concentrating on that. But when the net was floating out of the river, you knew there's more to the story. But you had to wait around to find out what it was. So we raised up in the air quite a bit. And I looked down at this place called Dead Man Sands. And there's a boat. The tide's going out and the wind's going in. And there's, I could see a speck, a boat was sitting down down there so I told the pilot uh, two and two you're three and three you, you know there's something let's go check out what that is so we fly down there and here's this big fiberglass Russian they call them Russian boats certain style brand new nice boat with the engine still going nosing up into dead dead man sands where the wind was blowing off his stern blowing waves up over the back into the, he's into the beach. Yeah. Like, what the hell is going on? So we hovered around and we could see there's nobody back there. Nobody doing anything. And the uh, the roller on the back of the boat is going. And these are brand new boats, so there's no smoke coming out of the exhaust. And the rope that, that they have from the reel back to the net went over the roller. And I could tell from the air, I looked at it had broken off there. How? I didn't really know. Either was there and it burnt off or something. So I tell this crazy pilot, I said, you know, if you could get... With his helmet on. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I forgive him for that. But I said, you know, if you could get down close enough, I could maybe jump jump in there and see what's going on. I misspoke because this is an old Vietnam guy. And, oh, he can do anything. But with all those antennas up there and the rudder going, you got to get... And the wind's off the stern which is a no-no for helicopter, you gotta be flying into it, and you gotta stay away from those antennas. And of course, he comes back and says, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. Well, I got him going then, I was right up his alley. Well, I kind of talked myself into it. You know, they always say, at least the Greeks have a saying, most people dig their grave with their mouth. Well, that's just about what I did, because I was throwing dirt. Well, I couldn't back down, because it's kind of a manhood thing. And he's hollering, I can do it, I can do it. <laughs> so, shit. I open the door, and we're getting down. And I had to take my earphones off, but we had to fly into the wind to open the door against the wind. Because he, he's got to be into the, you know, you, you can't fly ass backwards in the wind. And I had to take off my earphones. I couldn't talk to him, so I'm pointing down. I'm straddled on the struts. And I'm going down, down, down. He's going, no, no, no. And I said, down, down, down. And the closer we got, the smaller it looked. <laughs> so I finally just slid off that thing because I knew if I missed and hit that roller, I was going. Yeah. I, but anyway, I overcame that and just slid off and landed in the boat and rolled over and get, get my full. By then, Chuck came down with another helicopter with his bankers in it. 
and he's standing out there with the VHF trying I, I couldn't hear anything so I, I run in to the wheelhouse of the boat I don't see nobody engines going so I run into the engine room nobody so I run up went into the way four peaks a bunk and I see a couple heads well a big fear for me always was up in Bristol Bay especially with gas boats this was not a gas boat but it's carbon monoxide you know all our boats we had carbon monoxide warning things on them and so I didn't know what the hell had gone on you know it's easy to say it after you've been through it so I go up there and I grab these guys out of their bunk they hadn't been asleep for I found out later for two or three days and so the skipper had told them and his wife you go up take take a nap and we'll run the boat well they run the boat the skipper's wife went overboard obviously the skipper went overboard also theory you know not knowing what happened but you can kind of surmise and these guys were up asleep not knowing what happened so here's this gorilla standing there looking at him grabbing him by the feet and I I wasn't real polite I just wanted to get him out that back door onto the deck because I didn't know I just didn't know I thought my actual brains were carbon monoxide you know that's and that happens on a regular basis up there you know with these stoves and all that stuff yeah you got to be pretty careful well they wake up and they're Russians young guys they can't speak English and I damn sure can't speak Russian they were kind of looking at me and I'm looking at them just like we'd met in the in that alley out in back of the smoke shop kind of wondering who is this guy and I'm trying to explain to them all they were looking for is a skipper and the skipper's wife and they aren't there and I can't explain well I didn't know why they weren't there but here I am they fish in a fleet up there the Russian guys and he had his VHF all tuned up so I just hammered and says this is I forget the name of the boat just calling for anybody on this freak and here come a Russian guy and said hey I got this Russian boat down here and the two crew members are okay but I'm thinking it might have something to do with this lost net with a woman you know it just kind of was starting to make a picture without knowing everything but seeing seeing the rope and so it didn't take them long to all drop their nets and drop everything and reel them up and head down there but in the meantime this guy had about 20,000 pounds of fish in his boat I said well hell what am I going to do now? So the tide's starting to come in. You're going to go take that fish somewhere, yeah. aren't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the tide's coming in, and you got t- so I'm, I'm kind of going over this mud mud flat because everybody's coming from east. And I'm kind of going west. And I got over that sandbar, and I took up off the other side. And I thought I could drop it off at the icicle barge, but I really didn't want to do do that. But I, I'll do whatever the cops want, so I asked one of the guys in the Triton office, I got this boat, and I'm running it. What are the crew members doing? <laughs> They're still, well, I put them on the radio. So they had, so I tried to explain, but I couldn't explain. But uh, I said, we're going into town, and Matt, I think, or somebody in the office called the cops, and the cops says, we want that boat to come into Naknet. Okay. I didn't say, well, I could stop here, Triton, here. So I go all the way up there and I follow some boats in the channel going and tie to the sea line. Matt was there and I get about halfway in there and said, Matt, start your hydraulics. We, we got to protect this fish. 
so so I pull in there, no shit, man. We we we, we had we had guys we hooked onto every bag. It's about well, you can check there. The rosemary, no. We had about twenty thousand pounds of fish off that boat. It's a damn great. Well, and the cops were there because the cops wanted to be the first ones to talk to these crew. It, it, you know, I mean, they because they're just like they didn't have a clue. They didn't, they didn't, you know. But with the gal and the guy missing, and it started making sense to them probably a lot quicker than it did to me. But so they we and the cops come and they interviewed for two three hours, and Chuck knows the rest of the story. The other Russian guys came and got the boat. They kind of went off, but Chuck met some of those guys in Hawaii that year, and he's got more of the story of what what they they thought happened. But Where was the captain? He was overboard, too. And the theory being, he had gone overboard trying to get his wife back or something. I, I don't know. You, you know, and one of these nets goes flying out, and you got rain gear on, and you got buttons and snaps, and... Who knows what happened? Because the boat was still in gear. So he was towing on his net. Was he found? Huh? Was he found? About a week later, they usually pop up. Yeah, yeah, he, he was found. They usually pop up? Yeah. Well, <laughs> is it Bobber? Or, <laughs> no, Russians or, or people in general? <laughs> Humans in Okay. Well, we I didn't lose another guy, but we had a guy up there on the... What's the name of that boat? 90% Angel. That was a hell of a boat. That was a hell of a deal. But anyway, that's, yeah. So it, it was just one of those things that, but I, I went around after that was over. And if you ever looked at one of those boats, and I recommend to everybody I know or see or figures will take criticism from Bart without taking it too offensive. That boat was fiberglass. The wheel was inside. There was no step on the back. I would just imagine this guy trying to get up on that boat, scratching up the side of that fiberglass boat. Mm -hmm. And I'm a firm believer, and I talked to, this is years ago, I talked to two or three of our guys, I went down there and said, I look, these aluminum boats, it's easy to just cut a hole out and put a handheld on there. So if you're overboard, you can kind of pull yourself up out of the water, especially if there's nobody, but even if you're overboard and there's a guy on the boat, it helps a lot if you can give yourself a little because when you're overboard and you're full of water and your boots and your Levi's you ain't light okay we're going to stop it right there guys uh, we'll call this one episode two from Captain Bart Eden uh, look forward to next week for episode three with Bart Eden buy wild Alaska seafood and if you can't buy wild Alaska seafood at least buy wild seafood follow us on galley stories on Facebook like share and subscribe and we will see you next week